Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we're talking all about episode seven of Andor entitled Announcement. This episode aired on October 19th. It was directed by Benjamin Karen and written by Stephen Skiff. I am so excited to talk about this episode. We got new directors. We got new writers. I'm here for it. Benjamin is probably best known for directing a lot of episodes of The Crown. And Steven is probably best known for writing and producing, I think, a lot of episodes of The Americans. I think you can feel that tonally in this episode. So, Caitlin, how did we feel about announcement? This episode was so good. I This is the earliest I've gotten up to watch Andor. I was up like pretty early. I, like, I usually watch it before work, but TBH, I've been a little lacking in that department recently where I feel like it's been a little You don't have later. to admit that publicly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this week, though, I got up really early, actually, and watched it. And it was – this was such a good episode. I – I loved kind of the pacing of it. I think that's something we've been talking a lot with Andor is the pacing of the show and how it's so good and really um, makes for an exciting episode kind of no matter what happens. And even though there wasn't the same kind of tension this week as there was last week, although is it even comparable to last week? Is anything comparable to last week's tension? I don't really think so. Right. <laughs> but I thought this episode was so well done. And, you know, we're right in the middle of the first season. So we've kind of wrapped up those six episodes and now we're kicking off the last five. And I think that this episode announcement works as a really good fulcrum in the middle of this season, even it being entitled announcement, I think says a lot about the themes and what the characters are talking about and kind of where their storylines are going. So I think this episode worked so well. Uh, probably the most emotional episode for me with Cassian and Marva. I've watched this episode two and a half times now and I put in our notes. I said, I can't even take notes on Cassian and Marva because I'm just over here crying. <laughs> <laughs> through their through their moments and their scenes. Um, I loved it so much and I thought it was so emotional. And I think we're this show is so good and it's doing everything I want it to do. And every week I'm surprised and delighted and on the edge of my seat. Me too. I think the writing is just absolutely brilliant. There are some I've said this every episode, but absolutely killer lines, like major zingers that make you just kind of sit back in your seat like, wow, mm -hmm. that happened. And I have a lot to think about with that one. I think we'll talk about some of them. But I also want to mention that last episode, we totally missed that Gorn died. Um, I think that we talked about like whether or not he was alive on the last episode. We speculated about it. And it's embarrassing that we missed it, but a lot of other people missed it too. So I'm not like I, I debated when I found out that he because we had some listeners be like, wait, I thought Gorn was dead and you guys were you know, speculating <laughs> about what happened. And we were like, wait, what? <laughs> sure enough, he died really quickly in like in a flash. And I think if I had any complaints about the last episode, it had to be that one. And apparently a lot of people were surprised too. And they missed that. It's probably because I think they spend a lot more time on shots regarding Terraman's death than Gorin's death. But regardless, I 
I, that was like the only complaint I have about the last episode, I guess. And I have no complaints about this current episode. I think it was great. I just wanted to mention that weirdness about us last episode. I was going to edit it out. Basically, what I was going to say is I was going to edit it out, but then I didn't because it seemed like a lot of people had that thought too. So anyway, the title of the this episode announcement, I think is a really good one. The The titles for Andor haven't been as like juicy as the other <laughs> Star Wars show titles have been. And I think if you're a longtime listener, you know that we like to discuss the titles. But I personally feel like this one is really interesting because I feel like we do have every single character reacting to what Dedra says is that this the attack on Aldani is an announcement, not a robbery. And what does that mean for every single character and how are they reacting to that? It's really good. This episode is loaded with stuff. And I've seen people online refer to it as like, last episode was the episode in which you mess around. And this episode is the episode in which they find out. And I think that's really true. Yeah, I agree. I think seeing the ramifications of Aldani and the ripple effects across the galaxy, it it was swift and it was intense for all of our characters. Uh, we have characters butting heads. Of course, we have Cyril and his mom, which I'm so glad Cyril is back this episode. And, um, you know, Mon Mothma and Luthen have some great conversations. Vel and Clea have some very interesting, tough tension between the two of them and even Cassian and Marva that we'll get into. And so there's a lot of butting heads and friction about the events that happen on Aldani and what comes next. And I think that this episode really kind of nailed it. And I'm excited to start going through our characters. I think that's kind of how we have this episode broken up. I feel like that's how we've been doing most of our Andor episodes is by character because we do jump around a lot <laughs> in Andor. It uh, There's never any kind of downtime, I think, in any of these episodes, even in those like moments of pause that we had, like especially the opening of this episode, um, which I thought it was a great choice, by the way, and I'm sure we'll get into it, of beginning and ending this episode with Cyril. You know, in the first shot, we mm -hmm. have him uh, in his bedroom uh, looking out. And I thought it was great because, you know, we're on Coruscant. It's clear they're in the lower levels of Coruscant and it's not very bright outside. And we just see, you know, the buildings towering above him outside his window. So we start it with him kind of isolated and alone in his bedroom. And then we end it with him, just another form of isolation, uh, working for the empire in, I forget what the department is called, but in his little octagon slash cubicle, whatever it's called. So why don't we actually just start talking about the episode? And since we're on Cyril, let's start talking about him first. Because again, I was really glad to have him back this episode. And of course, we see him this morning, that morning with his, his bowl of crunchies and his blue milk and being berated by his mother for his choice of wardrobe. And I love how he keeps saying, it's just a brown suit. What are you, what did he say? Like, what are you inferring about me? and the color brown, you know, and she is so nitpicky and so uh, pointed about all the ways that he is not representing the family well. And she, I said this the first time we met at Edie, his mother, but I think she has some really great lines that are applicable to like the whole series too. I think that every character has lines like that, but I don't know. It feels surprising from a character like Edie who seems so 
Like we've only seen her in their apartment, right? We've, we haven't seen her outside in the rest of the galaxy. But she has this line that she says to Cyril where she says, everything says something. I've tried to tell you that, but you've resisted. And of course, that word resisted is specific. We think about the resistance. We think about resisting in general and the rebellion and all the kind of connotations that come with that word resistance in Star Wars. But I love the idea that Cyril has this his own kind of resistance in the clothing that he wears and how that is a form of expression and statement from him, no matter how small it may seem of just the the tailoring of his collar or the piping on his uniform uh, back on uh, Morlana 1. And again, I'm reminded of Vel's quote from a couple episodes ago of everyone has their own rebellion. And this is Cyril's small and personal rebellion with his clothing. And it does make me kind of wonder if we'll see more instances of quote unquote rebellion from him in the future. I don't know if I think he'll be with the rebellion in that sense, but I think we've got a good contrast to like Dedra and how Blevins is basically accusing her of being a rebellious intelligence offer officer, even though she's still working within the empire and for the empire. I think we can kind of see, uh, where Cyril and Dedra would team up and would have their own kind of rebellion within the empire. I think within another Star Wars story that wasn't Andor, that wasn't so willing to take on these complicated gray parts of what it is to be a character in this machine of the Empire, I think in another story we might see this be the beginning of Cyril's path to leaving the Empire. Mm -hmm. But I actually think, and we've talked about this, I think it's a little different here. I think that, I think constantly through his clothing, through the like toxicity of like his home life and everything and like that end shot of this episode where he's, you really get a sense that he's a cog in the machine and now he is in this like corporate cubicle making zero difference. And I think he felt like he made a difference in that last job he was in. Again, in another story, this might be the beginnings of his him joining the like rebellion as we know it. But instead, I think that it's him digging his heels in and finding the individualism in the empire in a different way. Again, like I wouldn't be sad. Actually, I'd be I'd be into it if Cyril instead became part of the rebellion or something. But I just don't necessarily see that happening. I think we're dealing with just another path of what happens when you uh, really want to find like order. And I think that Cyril is someone who is actually really after order and also individualism and like structure. And I think that you see that in the way that he tailors his clothes. He he wants like, like that's physical structure. He is putting structure into his clothes. And I think he wants to find structure in another way and to have something he believes in. And I think that he wants it to be the organization for what he works for, but it's just not materializing. And I think that he's just very frustrated. And there's a way to channel that frustration into like you know, raging against the machine. But I think that his rage against the machine won't actually end up in the rebellion, the Luke Skywalker rebellion that we know. It'll be different. Um, I wanted to mention also that there's a there there's a shot in this episode that I actually posted on our Instagram as well that really reminded me of a scene from the apartment. And this was a scene that actually Ryan Johnson also took um, inspiration from went in a deleted scene in The Last Jedi that showed also the like monotony of working in the First Order, 
slash the empire and what that looks like in an office setting. And it's very similar, like endless desks in this movie, The Apartment. And it is just absolutely the clearest comparison here as well about the endless monotony of desks um, with within the empire and then this job that Cyril has like no emotional attachment to at all. Like he even mentions to that, that one guy that is basically interviewing him about how he, his whole issue was because he was fighting for justice within the, uh, the system in which he was in before. And yeah. And then he gets assigned to like fuel clarity or something like who cares about that, I guess is kind of the vibe. And the end shot is so interesting because I swear to God, he looks into the camera and that was uh, an interesting one. I don't know. Did you catch that? Uh, I didn't in the episode, but I saw people posting about that on Twitter. So yeah, definitely food for thought. I think yeah. that Cyril has this, you know, talking about the possibility of uh, redemption for Cyril or I guess him joining the rebellion and how it doesn't really feel like, like you said, I think in a different Star Wars story, we could have seen that with Cyril. It feels less and less likely in this story of Andor. But Cyril and Zedra have this, uh, I guess, like a morality about how they want the Empire to operate. They want it to be the best version of the Empire. And they see the ways that something like the Empire isn't upholding or paying attention to the things that they actually should be paying attention to. We'll talk about Dedra, of course, and everything that happens with her in this episode. But, you know, talking about Cyril uh, telling the the supervisor who's interviewing him about, you know, no, I was punished for doing the right thing. I was punished for trying to find out what happened to two dear colleagues. You know, like I'm a team player. Basically, when my colleagues got murdered, I investigated. <laughs> and the supervisor, all he says is, okay, well, uh, we're just going to, it's probably better if we just delete this off of your resume altogether. <laughs> and I yeah. don't think that's what Cyril wanted to hear. He wants someone to tell him, no, you- he wants to be validated. Yeah. He wants to be validated. And he wants, he wants the corporation, the machine that he's working in to value what he did or to see the reason and what he did. And I just, it's, it's fascinating. I, I just, I wonder what is going to come next for him. And, um, cause we see Dedra get validation in this episode and how she just, lights up with it and is so like excited about uh basically Blevins getting called out in the meeting and mm -hmm. uh her being praised and everything like that and I feel like Dedra and Cyril are going to be able to give that to each other and it's really going to fuel their ambitions as they what I assume is pursue you know Cassian slash the rebellion and the ways that their stories will intertwine in the future I feel like we're getting real close to the meeting mm -hmm. and I can't wait. I was thinking when you were talking about thinking about how perhaps Dedra and Cyril are on similar journeys in that sense in which that validation for Dedra feels so good. And like you said, Dedra could perhaps give that validation to Cyril and then like what sort of menace will that bring about, right? Mm -hmm. I 
I, I wonder, I don't know. This is a very exciting part in this series because first off, 12 episodes is a lot of episodes, especially these days in television. And we're right smack dab in the middle of all of them. This episode is a middle point. And as much as Caitlin and I love to speculate, there's so many different ways this show could go. And I have no idea which any, any way it's going beyond some thoughts about Cassian given like the trailers that we've seen and some of the shots that we've seen. But I, I don't know. I think that I'm, I'm expecting them. I, I just, I, I gotta say it. Like I'm expecting Cyril and Dedra to meet up somehow because of that, the fact that they were in press together and they hinted at them knowing each other in a, in a big way. And so I think it's surprising that it's taken seven episodes for that to happen and they were doing the press day together when other actors were not doing that. And I'm sort of just waiting for it. I don't know. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I think they'll definitely meet up. I think you meant I had forgotten where Cyril's department that he got put in, but you're right. It's fuel something. Clarity. Yeah, yeah. something about fuel. And uh, Dedra, remember in this episode, she asks for all of the reports on navigation and ship repairs and communications from ships and things like that so i think that's where we're getting there's a link that crossover yeah i think we had speculated a couple episodes ago when uncle what is the name uncle Uncle Harlow. harlow harlow uh that he would be getting cyril a job in the empire and it's clear that that's where he's gone so i think mm-hmm. that's where their paths are going to cross but yeah you're right it is kind of it's interesting to think about when we think about spoiler culture and things like that about having denise and kyle do this press so early and we talked about this a lot in the press for andor that it felt like it wasn't as you know the actors felt like they were actually saying things about their characters and about the story. It didn't feel as tight lipped as some other star Wars projects have been in the past before they've come out. And I think this is a good example of that, of Denise and Kyle uh, knowing each other's characters really well, which leads you to think that they've interacted quite a bit. I forgot to mention this before, but Cyril and Dedra also have an extreme similarity in their attention to detail, especially with clothing. And there were several shots in, first off, one of the first conversations is about how Cyril tailored his his, his jacket, his brown suit. What a great acting moment, I think, there. Um, and then later, Dedra chastises someone who works at a desk for having his his tunic open and messy and things like that. And there's also shots of Dedra like putting on the outfit and making it look all quaffed and perfect and everything like that. And I think that they, the Venn diagram is, is pretty um, of their attention to detail is fully overlapped. I think between those two characters. Yeah, I agree. I wanted to know, I feel like maybe we should talk about this at the end of the episode, but did you have any thoughts on why they chose to end with, Cyril and not just Cassian's arrest because that felt pretty dramatic for his arrest and then we we go back to Cyril that's a good question I think that personally it left me with a lot of dread for a character that I like on an audience level but don't like on a story level right like Cyril I think has made some mistakes like I am not rooting for him at this point I'm rooting for Cassian and I think that if as a middle episode, we always talk about things as darker middle chapters, that end scene where there's three shots of like close to Cyril, middle middle of like seeing his work area and then further out, I think it really did fill me with a lot of dread of like the 
what happened and what is happening after Aldani. Yeah, I I'm still it's something I'm still thinking about because I do think there's that balance with him opening the episode and then closing it out. And I think there's I I don't have a fully formed coherent thought on it, but I think there's something about the machine of the empire and yes. the extremeness of what we see happen with Cassian just seconds before where the the judge woman says, you know, this used to be a six month sentence. Now it's six years and how extreme that is and horrifying. And then to switch to the absolute silence and monotony of this massive imperial workforce that is just chugging away uh, but in absolute silence in a way, like compared to the, I guess, the um, the noise and the like hysteria of what's happening with Cassian and, and all the people that are there and being affected by it. I think there's something in that contrast uh, and choosing to end it on the machine still ongoing and like growing and thinking of where we see Cyril at the end. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it was it was a cool choice and I like thinking about it. I agree. Let's talk more about the Empire and Dedra then and move into talking about her character. Again, we see the immediate ramifications of what happened on Aldani and how the Empire is taking care of it. Dedra doesn't necessarily approve of it, but it's happening. We meet Admiral Yularen, I guess, (laughs) in live action. I know, the voice of war. I can't believe he's here. And man, is he not nice (laughs) so so his quote about what is happening with like what the empire is doing in in response to aldani he says the following measures will be adopted empire-wide as of today a tribute tax equal to five times the amount stolen from aldani will be leveled on any sector harboring partisan activity we'll make it clear no one steals from the empire the use of any local custom festival or tradition as cover for rebel activity will trigger permanent revocation of imperial tolerance I heard that. I was like, okay, so there's absolutely no room for individualism in the empire at all. Like, at all. You do anything that is out of step of the normalcy with the empire. And this is in the beginning of the episode after not even what is happening with casting at the end. It, nothing is about to be tolerated. And I got the sense that this is a full admittance of like the only sort of real world um, application that I can think about is like this is a full police state a full police galaxy, I guess. Um, and how there's no matter like what offenses are, uh, are happening. Like it's being bland- branded as a class one offense. And we see that later with Cassian. And actually like, I remember this coming up a lot in rebels too, with how extreme stormtroopers were being about arresting people in these small towns that in star Wars rebels, they were visiting. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's just a lot, right? And I think that there's some, there's obviously some like real world applications here about Cassian was truly just minding his business on that planet at the end, and he got a six year uh, time in prison. I mean, insane. And uh, the the fact that the person who's I can assume is the judge, I guess, is was like, this used to be a six-month sentence. Like, the fact that she admitted that, so crazy. Yeah, so I think that we are really reaching a point where there is drastic change from even that first meeting that we saw where that one um, officer, Admiral Head Honcho, was talking about how we are, like, 
medical professionals who eradicate disease. This is different. That's not how that's we've moved beyond eradicating disease. I don't have the quote in front of me. Um, we have moved into if anyone is doing anything outside of the step of the empire, if anyone is doing anything in regards to their own personal culture, I think that's the craziest thing ever, then you will be thrown into prison. I mean, they even say that everyone who's already in prison, their sentences are going to be reassessed. So the people who perhaps were serving like six months or something like that, they're going to be reassessed, what I assume, under the new policy. So mm -hmm. that would become six years. And I'm sure it starts over, too. So I'm sure it's not if they were, have already served five months, it's, you know, five years and seven months. I'm sure it's like six years all over again. Right. It makes me think about how we've seen some scenes in the trailer of Cassian in prison and like shots of an imperial prison. And it makes me wonder if that concept is going to be brought up in terms of like a potential prison riot or something like that about that change in in their sentences in how they're treated, what is going to happen in that prison. Yeah, I'm very interested to see that because we know that this season takes place over the course of a year. And we've only got five years until Rogue One. Yeah, when it was when they said six six years, it's like, like, oh great, Ooh, something's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's not going to stay in there for that long. No. He can't. But he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Um, I don't know because six years has passed. Is like it's sad. Stop. Okay, okay, it's sad. Stop. <laughs> okay, I'm moving on. <laughs> I we've we've talked a little bit this season about these comparisons to Rogue One and uh, Cassian and Jin and kind of their character developments through their respective stories, Jin in Rogue One and Cassian in the show Andor. And I wonder what are similarities like when obviously when the KX unit came up, of course, I'm thinking of K2SO. We know that Cassian reprograms K2SO from Imperial Droid. All I can think about is, is that going to happen in prison? Is any of Cassian's prison escape going to have parallels to when Jin was freed by a K2, by K2SO uh, in Rogue One? Uh, what, like, their prison experiences? I don't know. I'm interested to see if we'll be able to get any comparisons once we get to that part of the story. I do have to say, though, just like a quick aside is when you said, what did you say? Uh, you called the supervisor in the ISB meeting, like the head honcho. The head honcho. But the way you yeah. said it, you said like Admiral head honcho. And you said it so quickly that I was like, wait, do we know what his name is? I, I, it was and like, I heard it as. <laughs> it would be very Star Wars. It was like. He, he honcho or something honcho. Like, that. like something like yeah, that yeah it's like savage oppressed type of vibes <laughs> yes. yeah it took me a second to realize that you had said the he like head honcho two separate words anyway. he has a name i just haven't learned it no so. i know it's like the starfleet box is that what it's actually called <laughs> i think so but i'm not sure uh no i think we've i think we've moved straight into star trek ter territory i yeah. think it's like star whatever it doesn't even matter it, it doesn't is, matter it okay. is a starfleet box thing <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, uh, the, what you said a lot of what I wanted to say about Dedra and the Empire. I have to pour one out for my favorite Imperial guy, Blevins, and how he got completely eviscerated 
in this meeting. <laughs> that was great. It was so good. <laughs> he, was, he was so sad. Again, like, <laughs> Dedra's really girl bossing so hard. Yeah. And I think she's going to girl boss too close to the sun. Oh, 100%. Uh, I was rooting for her in this moment. It's like, I can root for her. It's fine. But as much as, like, she's in a, in a meeting that's truly ruining the galaxy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I still it, it, want her to like get what she's due, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And thinking we talked about like women in the workplace and how Dedra is a commentary on that. Yeah. And she is the only woman in these meetings, in this meeting. Right. Absolutely. Also no aliens. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. Yeah. And it's specific. There's, I, it is specific. Yeah, absolutely. This episode uh, or this meeting with the ISB, them talking about uh, the bills that they're going to introduce to the Senate, basically giving them full authority to any kind of data that they want, full surveillance uh, at 100%, basically. They'll have access to anything. And any members in the ISB will have access to everything as well, from what it sounds like. And uh, the fact that they use the amount that was stolen from Aldani as the specific penalty fine for other planets is very clear in the message that the empire is sending out. They want you to remember what caused this. It was what happened on Aldani. And we know that eventually that all of this works to their detriment because obviously the empire is destroyed and beaten by the rebellion. But in this moment, this kind of swift action like this is really scary. And seeing that play out at the end of the episode with Cassian and the way that the shore trooper manipulates everything that he's saying just in order to create this narrative about what Cassian was doing and where he was going that day and arresting him. And there's no fair trial and there's no uh, there's no one there who's able to advocate for Cassian and he can't even advocate for himself. And the last thing I kind of wanted to say on that was, you know, about the local customs and festivals and traditions of cover for rebel activity. And this is direct contrast to what we spent a lot of time talking about in the last episode, actually, with Commandant Jay Hold and him telling the engineer on Aldani everything that they've done to make the Donnies believe that the Empire is working with them instead of against them, and how long the Don- uh, the Empire has been on Aldani over a decade, and that there are probably a lot of other planets that have similar experiences, and suddenly it's going to be taken away from them all at once and they're going to be punished it feels like for any kind of traditional festival custom local activity or anything like that it will all be seen as cover for the rebellion and all of those people will be punished and you start thinking about all of the dalnies that we saw last week they're probably all in prison if not honestly killed yeah i think given what we witnessed in the last episode i do not have hope for the very few Donnies who made it to watch the eye there. I feel like in a lot of ways, those people might actually face the brunt of this entire operation, Mm -hmm. even though they had no knowledge of it. Yeah, I think they 100% will. One thing I wanted to mention before we move on from Dedra and move into talking about Luthen and Mon Mothma, etc. I thought it was interesting that Dedra mentioned the, she refers to highly secretive imperial equipment in in plans for like what a quote unquote rebellion might be seeking, and she has specifics about that. And I think highly secretive imperial equipment could really hint at 
future Death Star plan acquisitions, which I thought was interesting and a potential connection into Rogue One, you know? Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you brought this up because I hadn't thought of it when I was watching the episode, but I think this will probably be a piece of it too. I think it could potentially be an interesting commentary and a connection to Rogue One of how Dedra could potentially have knowledge over the fact that the Rebellion wants, I don't know, these secret plans or, you know, or is interested in things like that, right? The whole concept of what gets everything in Rogue One in motion and maybe she somehow knows something about Jin's father. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not making direct connections, but I do think it's interesting. The concept that someone like Dedra could have knowledge of the, of the rebellion being interested in that. And then it maybe never making its way up to someone like Krennic in Rogue One. And it would like Mm -hmm. bite him in the back Mm -hmm. basically of like not paying attention to this one person. Yeah. Well, and the, Someone like Admiral Head Honcho and Blevins kind of continually putting Dedra down and telling her exactly. to stay in her place when, when she's right, when she has the answer, which I mm-hmm. think we'll see her reach success at the end uh, in some mm-hmm. form. But I think marginal success, yeah, marginal success. And it'll be a way to also keep her in her place. But then I, I also wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't make it out of this story or time period in the end because of course the empire doesn't really care about her and as soon as she gives them the information she need they need then they'll be done with her flying too close to the sun she is gonna girl boss too close to the sun yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> since we mentioned the aldanis uh in this section before we move on to kind of mon mothma and luthan uh we should say that we did get a shot of cinta in this episode so she is currently alive mostly well and traveling and we do see a star destroyer arriving on aldani it's scary i, I yeah. things are not looking so good for cinta i'm i am happy and thrilled that we got these shots but it feels very enclosed. I feel like she is slightly trapped there. She she was scaling that mountain to great success, but it was quite loud. And I was nervous about like how much commotion that like speeder that she was riding was causing on the side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was too. And I was worried about her just kind of flipping over, honestly. Yeah, me too. I was like, she's she's 180. She's going to get her straight up and yeah. down. <laughs> But (laughs) she is uh, far more skilled than I am. So I'm glad we got to see her, even if it was just very briefly. And the time was used well to show, you know, the Star Destroyer over top. And uh, Vel asks about her later. And Clara says she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. So perhaps Cinta is actually on her way to another mission. I hope so. I mean, I hope she has a plan. I'm just fingers crossed. I I need the space girlfriends to reunite. Mm-hmm. So me too. Let's, let's go for it. Also, like, okay, since we're on the topic, seeing Val in like Coruscanti gear, I was like, whoa, she cleans up. <laughs> and I, was, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was great to see. I'm abandoning my Val being Luthen's daughter theory. We're leaving that <laughs> in the last episode. If it comes up again, I'll be happy. But we're abandoning it. Okay. And I thought it was interesting that she was frustrated that Luthen didn't meet her. And I did get the sense that this was Val's first time doing anything like this, right? Like, I thought that she, Clea basically had to knock some sense into her about, like, no, this is like life or death. This is cutthroat. This is what revolution looks like. And Val was sort of, I think she was overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed by the whole thing. And now she's given the operative to kill Cassian. 
And I, I mean, obviously I think we know that that doesn't happen. So I wonder what's going to transpire and how is she going to use her resources and like that network that Luthen referred to in this episode to find Cassian, especially if Cassian is in prison now. I have a theory that my theory, okay, is that we know that Vel knows who Saw Gerrera is. Saw is coming into this season somehow. He was in the trailer. Potentially Vel could use her resources with Saw to jailbreak Cassian out. And then maybe like the whole, first off, also the Nemec manifesto didn't come up at all in this episode. So when is that going to come up? Mm -hmm. And will that be a sort of like equalizer, I guess, between Vel and and Cassian if they ever see each other again, given the fact that that was the last time they saw each other? Uh, I just wonder. I think that Cassian in a lot of ways in this episode has another reason to be radicalized into the rebellion because he saw how absolutely ridiculous the Empire was and took advantage of him in an extreme sense in a way that it, like I don't, it has not been that extreme since um I mean I guess I can't really say that because of what happened to his father but I think on a personal level to Cassian he's never experienced this kind of like absolute ridiculousness of like going to the store to buy some beer and then being put into prison for six years so I think that maybe this is another I guess notch on the belt in terms of how he runs into or becomes part of the rebellion. I can't wait to see what Vel's next steps are because it. I think it was clear that she was a new leader from the first time we were introduced to her. And yeah, Luthen yeah. is, you know, yelling at her, you wanted to lead, this is what it takes. And then even throughout the actual operation on Aldani, when she is clearly scared and isn't sure she can follow through with what needs to be done. And Cinta is the one who pushes her to actually follow through with what they're supposed to do. And I think her disappointment at everything that they lost about the betrayal of Skeen, about the actual success of what they did, all of that. And Luthen doesn't even bother to come and talk to her about it. I got to imagine that is <laughs> very upsetting uh, to Val. And I Obviously, like you said, she doesn't end up killing Cassian. Is she involved in his escape? Does it even just once they find out that Cassian is imprisoned, does it even make sense to try and break him out? You know, I kind of feel like Vel is not going to help with that. I kind of think that Cassian is going to get himself out uh, because I don't know. I feel like if I were Luthen and found out that Cassian was already in prison. Because Luthen doesn't want to recruit him anymore, like he did originally. He wants Vel to go and kill. He's Cassian. expendable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think Luthen might have the way that Luthen, I guess, got Cassian the the speeches that he gave to Cassian in episode three, right? Those great speeches in the warehouse of, "Don't you want to kill those bastards for real?" and and all of that. I think. It was part manipulation, but also at this juncture, I think it was part manipulation, but also that Luthen wanted to see if Cassian could be someone who could be a leader. And then to find out that he left and took the money and ran, it's like, all right, fine. If you're not in the network, you're not in the network and you need mm -hmm. to be you need to be out. And that's what Yeah, Clay you got to cut your losses. Yeah, that's what Clay says. We can't have him running around with Luthen in his head, which I really love that phrasing of things that wasn't he knows Luthen's face or he knows who Luthen is. It was Luthen running around in his head 
anyway, just another nod to the great writing on this show mm-hmm. so of good. the ways that things are phrased. Uh, I really enjoyed that. But also, we got to talk about Clea here, Clara, and how cool she is. And she's so cool. Her outfit was incredible. The like red vest, poncho, hood situation, the boots, totally obsessed. And I think she has a lot more power and influence in this rebellion in this network that I originally thought. We see her in the antiquity shop listening in on Luthen and Mon Mothma's conversation. And I don't know if Luthen is aware of that. I feel like he must be, but also maybe not. She seems she seems to have some kind of pool over him. I wouldn't quite say pool, but even a couple episodes ago before the operation on Aldani, she's the one kind of telling him to put the communications away. They know they're not going to hear anything, you know, give it up and do something useful and like help me clean the shop or whatever it was. And then here, the way that she talks to Luthen about Mon Mothma is very, I don't know, scary. <laughs> she, the, the way that she switches her personas between, you know, the people in the shop versus when she's talking about the rebellion with Luthen is completely different. And obviously it's supposed to be, but when she asks if Mon Mothma is going to be a problem, it's clear that she would, she would probably go and kill Mon Mothma if Luthen and her decided that Mon Mothma was a risk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that she, she's cutthroat. Yeah. And yeah, you're so right. I'm really surprised by her power in the situation of like this building of this network. And I'm very excited to find out more of her role within it. I think it's a very equal role with Luthen. It just feels like Luthen, because of his power and connections of probably running the shop, right? And like, I, I don't know, and probably his age too. It seems like, oh, he would have that power or like that's he was the first character we were introduced. So obviously we think that. But it's surprising to me that she is really running a lot of things behind the scenes and pushing things in a lot of different directions. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Let's talk about how Mon Mothma arrived at Luthen's shop. And it was a total vibe shift, I think, mm-hmm. of how we saw that relationship last time to this time. I was shocked that Mon basically knew nothing about this plan in, in a way that I thought that she would be excited, I guess, if she didn't know anything about it. I thought she would be excited about it in the same way that Luthen was at the end of the last episode with his hands on his head and everything like that. Um, But instead, she was nervous and scared about the entire process and felt a little betrayed by it. And I thought that that was probably more realistic than I was expecting, I think, because I think that makes a lot of sense that Mon wouldn't have any concept of it. And because of the network they built, like that's what would happen. And also given what we know about Mon Mothma's character and how she treats and talks to Saw later in Star Wars Rebels, we know that her opinion about sort of extremism and violence is um, different than a lot of other people who are uh, committed to the cause. And so I guess I was, I think that her reaction was like, again, more nuanced than I was expecting, but it does make sense. And I was intrigued by that entire conversation. I loved the line from Luthen that says, has anyone ever built a weapon they didn't use? That was such a good line. It is, I mean, it reminded me of like Chekhov's gun, the concept of like, when you have, when you've built a weapon you have to use it or something like that, right? The concept of 
we have this network. So what good is the network if we're not making moves and pulling things off? And I know that in like two episodes ago, we, Luthen was so nervous about whether or not they were going to be able to pull off Aldani and if they can make it work. And the fact that they did and Mon is still like so nervous and stressed about it and doesn't see sort of the upside of this, of the like quote unquote announcement as referred to in the title, what Dedra says, I think is is interesting and worth exploring. Well, I think Luthen's ultimate goal here, right? He says the network's been built, it's up, it grows or it dies. We've waited long enough. And he also says the empire has been choking us so slowly we've begun not to notice. And I think this is where we kind of understand Luthen's greater plan here, the bigger picture, because this, I feel like what's interesting about the show Andor and how good the writing is, is the line, the the pieces of writing that come up again and again. And one of them we've already talked about, Vel's line of everyone has their own rebellion. But then this other one from Nemec of the pace of oppression outstrips our ability to understand it. I think we've referenced that every episode now since since Nemec said it uh, back in episode four or five. And uh, I think that's really telling on, on a show like this of the li- the lines that it makes you think of from past episodes and the way that they're kind of creating these themes and obviously these um, things that, that they want to get across to the audience. And uh, thinking about the way that the Empire on Aldani like slowly but surely wore out the Dalnies from coming to their sacred events. and But it was still all quote-unquote peaceful. And I think this is what Luthen is talking about here is no, it, it has, we ha- the galaxy has to see how far the empire will go in order for people to start rebelling. I think that's his ultimate goal because if it, if it goes slowly piece by piece over the course of 10, 20, 30 years, you don't, it doesn't feel as drastic when it's happening at that pace. And then suddenly you turn around and you're living in a completely different world. And I think that's what Luthen is getting at here is um, they've been choking us so slowly we've begun not to notice. Uh, we've waited long enough. And I think he says something else too after that that unfortunately we didn't write down. But uh, when him and Mon Mothma are talking about the repercussions of what's happening and Mon Mothma says like people are going to get hurt and Luthen says that's the plan. And it's you again, it's one of those things of, whoa, wait a second. But that's that's Luthen's bigger picture here of people aren't going the galaxy isn't going to care unless people are getting hurt and we have to push the empire to the point where they overreact and completely change course and show their true colors basically in order for people to fully wake up and want to do mm-hmm. something about it you know and it's clear that Mon Mothma disagrees with that approach and uh, I think that it does go into what you were talking about, Charlotte, with what we see of Mon Mothma and Saw Guerrero's relationship in the future. It does make me think about Saw and Luthen and when they meet up, if they've met up before, why they're not working together, or maybe they are actually working together. It's clear that people are very, very isolated in this network. And I I had speculated before that Mon Mothma didn't know what Luthen was doing. And I think that makes sense now that we've kind of seen these conversations play out. And even though she was so upset about being in the dark about a plan like this, later on at her party, she doesn't tell her friend what's going on, Tay, Tay Colma. She tells him that, you know, the only thing you should know is that it's a charitable 
nonprofit, mm-hmm. basically, that I'm setting up. And even though they both kind of talk about their radical politics, she's not going to tell them what the money is actually going to. So I think, you know, and we're comparing characters. Mon Mothma was frustrated at being left in the dark, but then she's kind of doing the same thing to Tay, uh, to her dear, you know, childhood friend and all of that. And of course, I think that's partly because she wants to keep him safe and ignorance is safety in a lot of ways. But it's clear that that actually isn't true anymore with what the Empire has done since Aldani. It it feels like that won't matter anymore. Um, I do this episode, not that I haven't wondered it before, but this episode in particular made me really curious about Luthen and his backstory, who he is, where he comes from, how is he you know, in charge of Mon Mothma? How did they get connected? Um, where is Bail Organa? <laughs> Jimmy Smith, where are you? <laughs> well, okay, Mon mentions three people know, and I'm like, okay, does Luther know? Uh, is it, are we including Mon in that? And could it be Bail is the third person? It makes me wonder, like, are these, are those deleted scenes in Revenge of the Sith, like, fully not canon? I was sort of operating on this, like, loosey-goosey, like, I always count them as canon. <laughs> I kind of, I mean, I count them as canon in terms of like the concepts beyond them. I count as canon. I don't in my head think that they're like part of Revenge of the Sith, I yeah. guess, because they're deleted. And I wouldn't be surprised if like they have sort of been like categorized like B-class canon at this <laughs> point. And I I just, I don't know. I'm like, okay, so if if that's not really a thing, like if there's no like delegation of 2000, like there was in Revenge of the Sith, okay, so maybe Bale was doing his own thing. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't think that that's actually true. I think that Bale is involved. He's just maybe potentially like on the other side of the network or he's that third person that Mon is referring to. Yeah, I liked, I think our Discord was talking a lot about was that line of three people know about this in the galaxy. And our Discord kept talking about including Mon, excluding Mon, because that means we've got yeah. Luthen, Clara, and one other person potentially, or we're counting Mon Moth. <laughs> and that can right. mean a lot of things. And yeah, I just, um, I really hope we get, I just, Luthen is such an enigma now, and I'm really fascinated, especially, you know, thinking about what Vix tells Cassian at the end of the, when Cassian is back on Ferrix about how, you know, Cassian is asking her, how did he know about me? She's like, I don't know, but he did. And he didn't hear it from me, but he knew all about you. So what is, how, just how big is this network that Luthen has built up? Maybe Bail Organa is actually in the network. And him and Mon Mothma just don't know that they're both. That's what I mean. He's like on the other side of the network completely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I, yeah, I want to know more about Luthen and Clara. Really, I want to know more about Clara and how she's in all of this and where she shops. But uh, yeah, I. (laughs) (laughs) Her fashion. Her fashion. Also, on on the topic of Clara is I really liked seeing the Coruscant like subway system. Yeah. And things like that. I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. I love seeing these parts of Coruscant. Really just brings me back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It all looks so good. Yeah. Um, We did. We didn't have a, a, a straight dinner party with Mon Mothma, but we did see a party. No. Uh, with yeah. like a lot of finger food and some kind of finger punch. So, so many differing cocktails with so many right. different 
garnishes and accoutrement yeah. and it was just great yeah speaking of accoutrement um we did see i meant to say, talk about this with cyril but there's a lot of tupperware space tupperware so containers in her kitchen i was like edie do you have a pantry uh or like some open <laughs> no. units i don't know <laughs> it was just like all stacked on her counter and i kind of love that edie definitely feels like someone to me who she'll make she'll like put the two bites of casserole into a tiny tupperware and make you eat it for lunch until it's all absolutely gone, you know what i mean so i feel like she saved everything in their household uh when it comes so to many things in the show feel very tangible in terms of like kitchenware like even yeah. marva putting on the tea kettle it looks like a tea kettle we know it's a tea kettle but it looks so star warsy mm-hmm. the cocktail watering can too she had a watering yeah. can just that these houses just feel so lived in so real so star wars but very they're all telling a story they all feel different and they're all exploring the space in like a thematic way it's awesome it's very cool and we we touched on this a couple episodes ago of the comparison between Cassian and Cyril's bedrooms their childhood bedrooms but then we also have this nice kind of comparison again with conversations with their mothers and in the kitchens kitchen and stuff like that and uh, both of them are not in the best place with their moms which I think is is interesting to think about Cassian's is obviously very different than Cyril and we'll talk about that when we when we get to Cassian's section but Anyway, yeah, I think seeing the kitchen comparison of it all is is great and seeing how, yeah, like you said, it's all very tangible. But and in Mon Mothma's space, absolutely exquisite. And we're one step closer to a dinner party. I think we might get there by the end of the season, if not next season. I think we might too. So just we won't shut up about it when it happens. So just know that (laughs) when you see it on screen. (laughs) Um, But I liked this discussion that she has with Tay Colma because it when she when Tay is kind of talking to her about, you know, you should hesitate before you talk to me anymore about politics, because I think you might be surprised basically of where I am compared to, you know, this life you're living as a senator within the empire on Coruscant with all of these people here. And I'm sure there are people who are very, very pro-rebellion or pro-empire at their house right now, at their apartment. And I think it shows that Mon Mothma's cover is working, that there are people who don't suspect her to have these super radical ideas or or kind of any suspicion that she could be working with something like the rebellion. And of course, she pointed out that Perrin can't be trusted, but we all knew that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Did you get a little bit of a vibe between her and Tay? Like that they were like past lovers potentially, but didn't work out because of her arranged marriage to Perrin? Uh, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, that was just me? Okay, cool. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. You can have uh, Perrin and our, uh, Mon Mothma and Tay. No, not Perrin. No, you can Tay. have Tay and Mon Mothma. I, the first few episodes, remember, I think this was in our original and or episodes that are up on Patreon where I was like, I want to see a story of Bix and Cyril. Because <laughs> I think I had speculated that Cyril would uh, have to go back to Ferex and be stationed on Ferex to clean up the mess he made there. And I was like, I want this story. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just your uh, Cyril and Bix. I think this is a little bit more than that because there's like actually some tension. but And like the characters share a space. <laughs> 
that's quite intimate. But uh, yeah, I got like a little bit of a similarity between Tay and like Rush Clovis and Mon Mothma as the Padme here. I just I thought that it was potentially similar, but I could be wrong about that. And Padme does use Rush in a lot of different ways for I can't remember specifically, but part of me thinks it's money. But regardless, it doesn't matter. I I think that there was something going on there. And I'm just saying, especially the introduction of uh, Leda to Tay, it was sort of like, here's my daughter. And the daughter always makes, well, no, Perrin makes the daughter not like Mon at all. Like in, Perrin has to ask, like makes her ask for permission to leave. And so then it looks like, I don't know, that she doesn't ever want to talk to her mom about things. Like it is a teenage relationship with your mom that's very rough to the to its core but also on top of it there's just a lot of messiness between both parents thought it was interesting i can't get enough of this like interesting dynamic between leda and mon mothma and the mother daughter of it all um i think in terms of if you just brought up about five minutes ago about how there's some interesting conversations that happen between mothers and children and i'm just waiting for the weirdness to bubble up between leda and mon because the introduction has to mean something, like the fact that this that she's in here, that they had like several close-up shots of her. I wonder what's next for her. Yeah, the inclusion of her kind of multiple times is specific. Like having kind of like why? Yeah, this. I I I guess there's the why could be just the realisticness of yeah. the scene and of Mon Mothma being a mother. And I loved seeing Lita have this kind of tonal shift with Mon Mothma in this episode compared to the breakfast scene where she was very uh, bratty back to Mon Mothma and, you know, don't worry about it and like calling Mon Mothma out and, you know, just being a very kind of rude teenager. And then in this episode, she knows that she's in a public space. She's at a party. It feels like this is Mon Mothma's kind of shindig, that this isn't Perrin's uh, dinner party that he talked about a couple episodes ago. And she has to very like kind of calmly ask permission, but it's, you can kind of, I don't know. I've I've been in that position too of, can I go? Can I please go? Can I leave <laughs> with my parents and kind of interrupting their conversations and stuff like that. So it felt very real to me of the way that she was acting with Mon Mothma in this scene. But yeah, it, you can't help but think about the future with these kinds of characters. And where is Lita during the time of A New Hope and Return of the Jet? Like all of it, right? What happens to her um, as she grows up? Does she go with Perrin? Do they leave? You know, what happens with them? And as she matures, does she begin to see all of the things that her mother is doing? Who knows? Yeah. And more than that, um, agree with her mother. Uh, or does right. she not? Yeah, because she's a teenager. Like she can change her mind at any moment and just be like going through something and be totally blinded by Perrin. So if Perrin leaves the picture somehow, I wonder what happens to the daughter in the relationship with Mon. Or like if they if that relationship fizzles like in a big way, does the daughter choose to just be with Perrin and this is like a devastation for Mon in a way. I wonder. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of different ways that that could be explored and could uh, add a lot of depth and dimension to Mon Mothma's character for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about Cassian. The return to Ferex. <laughs> the return home. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're seeing Ferex and we have 
gotten some update in the past couple episodes of like the changeover of Ferrix to being run by like Imperial Run. And we find out that they took over that hotel, right? And they're running out of there. The the corp the corpos are gone. And instead it is the stormtroopers who are running the streets. It's crazy. It's interesting. It's heated. And I think that the conversation between Cassian and Marva and when Cassian returns home, there's so much heartbreak there and so much complication. It's just written and acted so beautifully. Seeing B2 again <laughs> was great. I love that droid so much. And the fact that he is like really like an old dog and his little like charger station is like a dog bed. Mm-hmm. And he, he's just, I don't know. It's so cute. He's so cute. Like he just really wants all of them to be together and he's ready to go. He's like, okay, we'll go, we'll go in the morning. It's it's okay. Like we're going to go. He wants everyone to be together. It's just so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. The the one thing I really liked about our return to Ferex, or I guess the more lighthearted thing, I wouldn't even call it lighthearted, but just that gossip on Ferex moves fast and Marva knows everything that happened with Tim, with Cassian, uh, all of that. And like, even who ratted Cassian out, she knows everything. And she even tells, uh, Cassian, you know, Cassian thinks for a second that Vix ratted him out. And she was like, no, 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 no. Tim did. And Vix was trying to warn you or go get him. It's unclear. I've heard it both ways, which feels like when you hear town gossip, you hear it a couple different ways first <laughs> as you kind of piece together the larger story. So, I, <laughs> so true. You know, it's like that gossip piece of it, I think, is lighthearted, but the the heavier side of it is obviously what the gossip is about. But then this also shows us that the town of Ferrix is still very tight knit. And I think that's something we, of course, saw throughout the first three episodes of them all kind of banning together immediately. Um, This first conversation when Cassian comes home with Marva about them leaving is just, oh my gosh, it's so good. And Cassian looks so happy of, we'll go, we'll go someplace warm. It'll warm and easy, I think is what he says. And that, you know, all they need is the three of them. And when Marva tells him, you know, it's a lot to think about. And he, you know, says, oh, of course, you know, you need your rest. We'll go first thing in the morning. And the second you hear Marva say it's a lot to think about or to take in, it's like, you know, they're not leaving. I think we knew from the beginning that Marva wasn't going to leave. But the way that she says that line, it's just, it's so clear. And, you know, the last time we were with Marva and Cassian was episode three. And that's when we found out exactly the circumstances in which Marva took Cassian from Canari. And we've talked a lot about all of the things that that could mean for their relationship and how they view each other, how they love each other, how there's regret from Marva of what happened with Cassian, regret from Cassian about being taken from his sister and that Marva was the one to do it. And like all of those things and how complicated that is. And you know, what, how does Cassian truly feel about Marva? And we saw a little bit of that at the end of episode three, when he sends back that message to B2 of, you know, tell, uh, tell Marva, I'm sorry, tell her to keep the heat on all of that, but for him to come back and to want them all to leave together, right? Like the only thing we need is all three of us is just, it's so clear of how much he loves her. And then of course our conversation in the morning that just 
completely broke my heart when um, she says, you know, when she's telling him she can't leave. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second um, about the rebellion and that like inspire Kathy's actions, inspiring Marva to want to be a part of the rebellion and how this is probably not something Cassie could have ever imagined as an outcome for what happened on Aldani. But she tells him, you know, I'm not judging you. You don't have to be a part of this. Go and find peace. And the quote he says is, I won't have peace. I'll be worried about you all the time. And she says, that's just love. Nothing you can do about that. I've never loved anything the way I love you. And I've never fretted on anything more. But this time, you can't stay and I can't go. And Hmm. they... Fiona Shaw and Diego Luna did such (laughs) a good job. I just completely lost it in this scene. And even at the end of the scene, and I know I'm not even like discussing this. I'm just like telling you straight what happened. (laughs) This isn't even like any analysis. I'm just like, like, feel it, feel the emotion. I feel like I do a lot, but especially here. But even at the end when he leaves and he goes, I'll be back. And she goes, of course you will. There's just that. Of course he's going to come back because he can't for whatever complication they have in their relationship whatever because I'm sure Cassine had that teenager period like Lita did and was remorseful and perhaps even angry I'm sure I'm actually I feel like we'll definitely see some of that anger if we get more flashbacks considering it feels like it was a teenager he was a teenager when everything happened with Clem um that anger that Cassian perhaps feels and expressed to Marva about taking him from Canari and his sister and and all of that, even with all of that, they are a family and he's going to come back, even though she tells him to leave, even though she can't leave and even though he can't stay, he'll find a way back. And it's just it was so heartbreaking. And when she asks him, you know, tell me you understand. And he says, I don't I don't understand it. I just. Yeah, it really it was really emotional and they did such an incredible job with it. And I, yeah, I felt, I felt the emotion. I felt my heartstrings. I felt my heart break in it. Me too. And I think that their relationship, I think is filled with so much love. Right. But I do think that there's like a great complication there within their dynamic. And, uh, the fact that Marva brings up the sister, number one, it's a, it's a real, like, sort of an alarm bell, I think, for the audience. I thought that Cassian was sort of doing that on his own or that Marva didn't know about that. And I was really surprised when Marva brought that up. And for her to say, like, stop looking, like, just don't, don't look anymore. Um, It's not your fault what happened and things like that. And I think that it's true that it's not his fault what happened, but I still think it's sad for her to say stop looking for his sister because she can't possibly understand what he went through on Canari as much as she will try to and has tried to and did in a lot of ways save him from that planet and gave him a different life. But that there's still a sense of what if I stayed? What if I was with her? What would my life look like had that not had happened to me? And for Cassian to not get to sort of explore that. I mean, that's what we started the series with, right? Like we can't forget that. This entire series started with that was the first scene, Cassian trying to find his sister. So again, we have this really heartfelt moment with Marva 
and Cassian, the the mother-son dynamic. And Cassian, I have to say, in this scene looks so young. And I feel like the way they lit him, he just Mm -hmm. looked really youthful. And you really got that. The dynamic was very clear. And then at the very end of it, for Marva to say just kind of give up on that dream of ever reuniting with your sister, I think it was it was really sad. Like we can talk about it was sad that they're they're parting, but it was also really sad. It was sort of a little bit of a knife in the heart, I think. Yeah. Well, how did you interpret that? Uh, Marvel wants Cassian to let go of yeah. of all of it. She wants him. She wants him to find peace. She wants him to go someplace warm and easy and find peace. And he has to let go of his sister. He has to let go of all of that. And we talked a lot in the first couple of episodes about if, you know, did they go back? Did Marva join Cassian? Like, did they, as a family, try to go and find his sister together after, you know, it became clear they they couldn't bring Cassian back to Canari? Um, you know, how all of that went down? We have no idea. And uh, we know, but we know that Cassian was hiding it from her when he came back uh, from Morlana One. And like any mother, she knows what her kid is doing too at the same time and knows that it is likely a dangerous and fruitless path as she feels. But I think this was a good place to include this reference to the sister because you're right, Charlotte, it is where we started this whole story and it's been a while since we've brought it back up. So I think it was good that they brought it back here. It's clear that this is something that will continue through. We'll be following through on this thread. It's just a matter of time. And that might not actually not be until season two, but Mm -hmm. it's something that we will see, I think through to some form of conclusion. I have to wonder if Marva potentially knows that the sister is maybe dead and maybe looked into it in a different way when Cassian was a, a child. I'm just not sure. And mm, I no. that was, I think he would she would tell him. I don't know. I think she I or if she was in the in part of like our original theory of like her being part of the Empire and that's just devastating in itself or something like that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of. I think I think she believes the sister is dead. Um, mm. We had a name for her, didn't we? Her name that she was using on Canary. Yeah, it starts with a K too. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember it now, but I think I think she probably got information that you know everyone on Canary died, and I think they probably tried to take Cassian back at some point. Uh, and found out when they got there or found out before they got there and they couldn't actually land on Canary. I think something like that happened. And she truly believes that his sister is dead. I don't think she mm. knows that for a fact, but I think she fully believes it. Yeah. I just think that it's sad that she would say sort of give up hope about that when I think that, I don't know. I don't know where we get from this point of Cassian to the rebellions are built on hope Cassian and Rogue One but it doesn't seem like him giving up on his sister is part of his and like finding her is part of his path I guess I think that he's going to continue to look for her so oh yeah I I don't think he'll stop 
But yeah. it feels like a conversation they've had before, though. You know, like yes. there must have been a point. But I was surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. Because he just like didn't even want to tell Marva when he went to go look for her that first time. He like basically lied about the whole thing. Yeah. But now I realize that like, oh, there might be a lot more there if they have had that conversation before, you know, and then he got into a bad situation because of him looking for her. And following that thread, right? Well, you imagine Cassian's teenage years if, right, he's 10, 11 when he leaves Canari, give or take a couple years, um, becomes a family with Marva and Clem, feels like that, which we finally got, I guess, full confirmation that Clem is that father figure from something other than the credits mm-hmm. <laughs> of the show. Yeah. <laughs> I was really glad we had this flashback and I really loved seeing that warmth from Clem to Cassian, that reassurance that he was giving Cassian in that scene, because the only other reference we have for him is him telling Marvin not to take Cassian from Canari. And so I I think they did a really good job of showing in that very one short scene that there is a close relationship between Clem and Cassian. Of course, notwithstanding the fact that Cassian chose to use Clem's name as an alias, which felt like a kind of homage to Clem, too, if I'm being honest. But thinking about Cassian's teenage years and, you know, he has to go through whatever trauma he experienced on Canari in the first place with his birth parents, um, everything that happens with him leaving Canari, that was very traumatic. We know that was a very scary moment for him. And then everything that happens with Clem, we know that he walks by the the town square where Clem was hung and was hanging, it feels like, for an extended period of time, which is just awful. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of that that's happening, that is, and, and whatever, however much he's tried to find his sister to complete failure, probably multiple times. It's just kind of heartache after heartache after heartache in this this period of time for him because we're really talking about how old is he supposed to be here like in his mid-20s not a lot of time for how much he's had to go through we do know that Cassian does leave Ferrex though um he does stop by Bix is first which I was so glad we got to see Bix again I know and I was also like why are you guys talking outside you guys got to go inside where it's safe to talk yeah (laughs) but I do like any sort of reflection of their old relationship about Cassian like sneaking over the wall I love that and I need more of them because I think that they have a really good chemistry when they're together and when they're talking and they just have a real unspoken history between them. And I also, I forgot to mention this, but I really liked how Cassian didn't know anything about Tim and how Tim turned him in. Tim with two and how M's. He ha- Tim with two M's and how he had to kind of live with that and settle into that. And then he goes straight to Bix to talk about that, right? Yeah. And It's clear Bix is still mourning Tim's death and went through it too. I don't know. I just think that it's – it's Cassian was like really in for like a sort of a rude awakening when he came back to Ferrix and it wasn't home for him. It was everyone is kind of spying. Everyone is willing to turn anyone in, including your ex-girlfriend's boyfriend, right? And I think that that realization for him, he needed to have that realization that it's not safe there. Yeah. Well, I think this episode too did a good time, a good, particularly in Ferrix, did a good job of showing that little time has passed. Uh, like, uh, Bix's wound is still very obvious. It doesn't even really look like it started healing. All of this was three days ago. So 
not a lot of time has passed at all. We don't know how much time has passed between when Cassian leaves Ferex and I forgot to write down the name of the planet uh, that he goes to, but we've been calling it Space Miami. <laughs> um, so we don't know how much time has passed there, but on Ferex, when he's there, not a lot of time has passed. And Bix also tells Cassian that everyone on Ferex blames him for what happened and that it's his fault that they're now under Imperial rule. And it's kind of crazy when you think about, yes, that's true for what happened on Ferex, but also true for the entire galaxy. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Everything's happening really fast. I think that, okay, Space Miami, let's talk about it. It uh, Finally, we see the scenes that were leaked. This is like the only thing that leaked from Andor was them filming in Brighton in England on the beach. And now we see it and it is totally transformed into space Miami. I'm very happy to see so many aliens. It was a welcome thing because I feel like there's actually been a lack of aliens in the show and it felt so Star Wars and so cool. And man, the music <laughs> couldn't have been cooler Right. And I think that the choice to have this music, it reminded me of the the drums going crazy in episode two. Mm -hmm. But the choice to have this music, I think, was so good because we're dealing with a chase. The the pace suddenly is like frenetic and the music in a way is also frenetic. And what's happening suddenly uh, is, is very serious and um, harsh and extreme. And the music is kind of airing towards like pop synthy and it's kind of happy and exciting for uh like space miami it, yeah. it it makes a lot of sense and i think that it's clear like cassian is on a little bit of a bender right yeah that's where we meet him and this in space miami and like and the girl he's with asks for like what i can assume more alcohol and that's why he's going to the store because i think he they mentioned like Recnog or something like that. Like well, the word nog is in there. Candy or drugs too. Could she? It's, it's it could be. Drugs. I know she's like the green green <laughs> ones. Get the green and green ones. You like them. Yeah, I I mean I just think that that's that's the that's what's implicit, right? Yeah. Is that like he's on a little bit of a bender, and again, I just think that music was in like sharp contrast to the seriousness that was going on, especially towards the end. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm sitting here and thinking about this, I want to go back to your earlier question about ending on the shot of Cyril. And I think that instead of like the shot of Cassian being, a, you know, sentenced to six years in prison, I think that those, the shot of Cassian being sentenced to prison and then mm. Cyril being in that office workplace are actually telling the same story. Yeah. Like in a, yeah, it's all a prison. And both of those are just like extremely similar situations. And, the putting them right next to each other in the show in terms of shots really uh, sort of exacerbates that entire like thematic choice. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I think one of the last things, I feel like we already kind of talked about Cassian's arrest and how we see the instant kind of ramifications of everything that happens from Aldani and that whole confrontation with the shore trooper there and just how he manipulates the situation to create this narrative about Cassian, you know, the real world analogies of, you know, the police and, you know, a lot of minorities and people of color and how the police treat them is very obvious and cutting. And, you know, the why, why are you running? And it's like, I'm, 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not running, you know? The conversation was like mind numbing. Yeah, it was, it was awful. And, um, then them calling the KX unit in and how, one, how scary they were. But I, I think the thinking about word choice again and the writing here about hanging, you know, the use of the word hang with what the KX unit was supposed to do. What did the short trooper say? Oh yeah. Hang on to him. And he literally starts to hang Cassian. I think that's obviously supposed to be a direct reference back to what happened with Clem. They've talked about Clem hanging in the square multiple times now from multiple characters actually. And yeah, I think that was very purposeful. And also, I think we kind of glossed over it a little bit too much when I was like being emotional about Marva and Cassian. But Marva talking about how she couldn't walk by the square. And I don't think we should underestimate how Cassian's actions on Aldani have inspired her to be a part of the rebellion in whatever it takes. And how she said it's like, it's long overdue and I'm probably too old and it doesn't matter, but I'm still going to be a part of it. And I wonder if she'll ever find out that it was Cassian and his actions on Eldani that inspired her. And I'm just really worried mm-hmm. <laughs> about Marva and what happens with her and B2. The next time Cassian comes home, how much time has passed? Cause it only as far as we know, only about a week, maybe a couple weeks at this point, once we catch up with Cassian in Space Miami. And we've got to cover a whole year. So I don't know. I I wonder I if Marva ever learns that it was actually her son who inspired her to do this thing that she fully believes in now. And her saying that she put on her best coat and walked through the square I think you could really see how that affected Cassian in that scene too and that he knows what that means. And anyway, I feel like we kind of glossed over that a little bit in Cassian and and Marva's section a little bit ago. But yeah, what is she going to do? She clearly has social standing on Pharynx. It feels like Clem did as well in those flashbacks we saw. So is she going to be a leader of a rebellion on Ferrix? I think she could be. I think she would be good at it too. So anything feels kind of sky's the limit right now about where all these people are going and what they're doing next. So I'm very excited for for what happens next for episode eight next week. I know. Well, is there anything else you want to say about this episode? I think that's it. Great episode. 10 out of 10. This is the best Star Wars show ever. It is so good. It is so well done. And I am so excited for the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. So let's go. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, me too. I'm excited for episodes 8 through 12. Um, (laughs) I feel like with a lot of our Andor episodes, I feel like there's still so much to talk about and I'm sure we've missed a couple things especially in an episode that was as jam-packed as this one so if you want to talk to us more about it you can find us online on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles mine is at Caitlin Plusher Charlotte's is at Clarity we also have our website skytalkers.com our email our Instagram our TikTok Facebook all really good places to find us and we meant to mention this at the start of the show and forgot (laughs) but we actually have a bonus episode episode up on Patreon about last week's episode of Andor and talking about if Andor is a heist, if that episode of Andor 
was a heist movie uh, or fulfilled the criteria of a heist movie, I should say, which is an episode we did on Solo a couple years ago. And so we've kind of taken that and applied it to last week's episode of uh, Andor. So if you're interested in hearing that, that is up on our Patreon right now. You can go and listen to it and be a part of our Patreon community. But um, other than that, if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, we would love it if you took a second to go and do that. It helps other people find our show. And as I said earlier, you can always head on over to our Patreon to check out our reward tiers there, how to get involved in our Discord community, and also where to catch that bonus and or episode. And all of our other bonus episodes, we have a lot. I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested in that. I wanted to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Nathan, Amy, Christopher, Kelly, Colton, Rachel, Britt, Alex, Anders, Patty, Sophie, Nat, Logan, Molly, Catherine, Lindsay, Froppy, Kat, Lauren, and Hannah. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.